Hello Kings fans and welcome to Kings Talk presented by Cap City Crown. It's been an interesting week for the Sacramento Kings. They uh, they beat the Knicks on national television, got their 40th win on Saturday against the Phoenix Suns. Sabonis won his second Player of the Week award this season. And then on Monday night, the Kings played the best team in the NBA in the Bucks. Hung with them until the very end, the, the Bucks. Got the experience over the Kings, and a little fight broke out towards the end. John, how was your week? How you doing? Well, my week is pretty good compared to the... Pretty? It's pretty pretty good. good. I didn't get in an on-court altercation. I'm not potentially facing any fines. But that also means I'm not on the cusp of the most exciting basketball of the year, or at least partaking in it. I just have to sit on the sidelines and watch... So when you ask how my week is, it's pretty good. Yeah, that 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 pretty is kind of the key word there. Well, good. I, it's not pretty great, just pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Let's say pretty good. You don't want to get too high or too yeah. low. You know, what's what's better is what if you were to ask me if how was my week and I said pretty good or great, what would you think would be the better week? Well, pretty great and pretty great does kind of kind of. No, I said pretty good. Oh, and and then great. If I, I said pretty good or great, what's higher? I thought you were what's saying. I thought you were saying pretty good or pretty great, and I'm like, oh, that's easy. Oh no, just pretty good or great. What's ranked higher? I mean, great. I mean, great. I yeah. don't know why is that. Okay, why is that a question? Enough. Seems kind of self-explanatory, <laughs> no. Tony. Okay, fine. Uh, anyways, this all could have been avoided if Giannis didn't just, you know, dribble a ball up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only if the Kings just won. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really the issue. Yeah. That was uh that was that was it was a that game. was a great game. And then it just kinda there was yeah. two glaring mistakes as the Kings got it within four. I guess you could even kind of go a little bit before that when Grayson Allen hit that response, I think, to Kevin Herter. Oh man, yeah. And that, and that in the Middleton three both came off of well, the first one, I guess the first one came off of just a pretty pretty good offensive play because mm-hmm. you had them, I think, because they were doing the Middleton-Drew Holiday pick and roll in the second half a lot. And I think Drew Holiday came up, did like a ghost screen type action, and then made a hard cut towards the basket. And Kevin Herter was on Allen, but had to crash in to get that hard cut that, that uh, Drew Holiday made. Fox was following him. Grayson Allen's wide open. It was a beautiful play. When you replay it, you're like, damn, that's that's just that's well executed. And then the second one, it was just complete miscommunication between Harrison Barnes and Fox. That is on the Middleton one that, that yeah. was really kind of like ah. That was awful. And of course he just nailed drained it. Drained it. And like Mike Brown said, it's just like I mean, it was kind of a tale of two halves for the Kings because they came out in the first half mm-hmm. and were really active, did a good job of taking shots and standing in there strong, as Brown noted, against Giannis and not letting other guys get comfortable. Because Giannis is arguably the most unguardable player in the NBA, especially when he's getting when he's getting downhill. I mean, absolutely unguardable, easily the most unguardable. Yeah. And so as Mike Brown and any coach would tell you, it's like you try to limit that as much as you can. You just try not to let anybody else like go off and that's obviously super hard because the bucks are really good they have a their top Mm -hmm. three players are really good even middleton when he's not at his best per se is a phenomenal player and so they did a good job of doing kind of that balancing that act i mean 
Giannis was still getting his points in his first game back and all, but the Kings played really well. They come out in the second half, and they kind of dropped both those things. As Mike Brown said, they let Middleton get too comfortable. They stopped standing in there and taking those shots and uh, sacrificing their body against Giannis. And that compiled with – because they were in it, and the Kings can always kind of stay in it with their offense and whatnot. But just the mistakes of that miscommunication between Barnes <laughs> and Fox on defense and then the turnover, which was – I don't you want to like – like Fox lost the ball, but he lost his balance. And Drew Holiday was just playing good ball pressure. And uh, mm-hmm. that happens. And that's yeah. that kind of was that that was it. That was kind of the game. And it really yeah. that seeing that happen, it was like, oh yeah, that's a team that won the championship two years ago. That's a team that's been mm-hmm. that its group, its core has been doing this for a while and at the highest level. And it's not like a wake up call because everybody's talking about playoff experience in terms of the Kings in amid all the championship kind of musings, which are both fair. Because honestly, who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs. I mean, the season's been weird. Who knows what can happen? But, man, that was a glaring example of that experience factor. And it kind of reminded everybody of that, right? Yeah, 100%. And like you said, it was a tale of two halves. Um, I mean, the Kings looked really good in that first half. But, I mean, <laughs> you knew you knew that game was going to get close. And you know, exactly what you said again. It, the Bucks showed their experience, and they came out on top. And they kind of, you know... Ran away with it towards the end. It, the Kings didn't really have a chance to tie it up or anything within the last minute or anything. It was over by then. Then you had Robin Lopez kind of chirping all Brooke. game and great. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I was I said chirping, so I was thinking Robin. <laughs> uh, Burke Lopez uh, was chirping all game, and uh, Trey Lyles was just he was fed up with him. He was fed up with you know the loss in a close game that. The Kings could have had if a couple couple plays went their way, but yeah, I, I liked it out of Trey. How did you feel about that altercation at the end? Well, let's go through it because it was it's an interesting thing. So Giannis is dribbling the ball up, and he the best way to put it is he and Lyles crossed paths. Now, generally, what the what the Kings would have expected and what they would have wanted him to do. And maybe you can make the argument that maybe this is what he should have done uh, is just dribble it straight up and then dribble it out. No need to get in front of anybody. Now, I guess I couldn't help. <laughs> I love when shit just hits the fan and everybody starts arguing over stuff. I mean, <laughs> agent of chaos. <laughs> and so I like going online and just kind of reading all the how all the fan bases stick to their side and just bicker at one another. But something that Bucks fans noted is that in situations like that, Giannis will sometimes dribble towards his bench and then I think like down the ball or something like that. And so they were pointing out that it seemed like he was just doing that. So that was just, like I said, they crossed paths. I get where both are coming from. I mean, Giannis, I mean, Lyles took the swipe out of the ball and he felt like he got his arm clamped down by Giannis. There's whatever happened there. He never said anything was personal with Giannis. And honestly, you can kind of pass that off as just like, okay, honestly, Lyle's probably shouldn't have done that. And then when it gets interesting is like, because the thing that was that Lyle's out of there is a little shove at the end, which now I, I think Lopez would have gone up to him no matter what. But that little shove all of a sudden from an outside perspective, whether you want to agree with it or not, that now gives somewhat justification for him stepping in. And mm-hmm. like I said in the game recap, 
and like you noted just a second ago, Brooke Lopez was just, you know, <laughs> he was bickering at everything. And it was an intense game and everything like that. But it's just like there's an energy to Brooke Lopez that's just like. It's like one of those guys you just like you look at him and you're like, I just don't like this. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know like, about he, that. But he, he, he gives me that energy. Just like I just don't like looking at this I'm guy. Maybe maybe it's not his looks. Maybe it's just not his looks. But just like I, he just like. Frustrates me, frustrates me just watching him on the court. It's kind of pesky. He's always chirping and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, I just do not like this guy. Right. And so, I mean, if I'm feeling that way watching it, I can only imagine how the guys down low feel. And against. you got to think about like how much Lyles was playing in that fourth quarter. I think he played practically the whole fourth quarter. He's battling on the boards. It was a, it was a physical game, all game. Yeah. Like, if Lopez was really smart, like Lopez obviously rationalized it. It's like, oh, I'm going to stand up for my guy. But it's just like, at a certain point, you have to draw the line. And again, now it comes where Lyle shoved him in the face. Open fist, no punch mm-hmm. or anything, but shoved his face away. Which again, it's like, I kind of get where Lyle's is coming from. That's the last thing you want to see is Lopez in your face. You know, but maybe don't do that. And then like, they're going to, they, they started jostling at that point getting getting all tied up and it got broken up and Lyles went to the locker room which kind of gave me a sense that like he kind of felt like he shouldn't have done that last thing but him and Fox made it pretty clear after the game that they were sticking to the whole idea that well if Giannis never would have dribbled up dribbled in front of him that would have never happened which I kind of think is a honestly from an outside perspective that's kind of a sorry excuse I get where they're coming from though Mm -hmm. and I get that they're backing each other up and everything like that I mean like I, especially between Fox and Lyles, recall that Lyles, I think, I don't know who did it first. It was either him or Metu, but he was pretty quick to go to social media when Fox was lost out to Jaron Jackson in the All-Star game. So, like, and it's, again, it's like all that could have been avoided just from, like, so many different angles. But I guess the, the takeaway here is it's just, like, you can't push the guy's face away at that point. And Okay, so as a fan... I'm very happy with what Trey Lyles did. Like, <laughs> screw Brooke Lopez. Like, good. And you know, the Kings, they shouldn't be, like, trying to defend Trey Lyles because Shauna shouldn't have been dribbling the ball up. Just say it, just say it for how it is. Fucking Brooke Lopez deserves a shove to the face after he's chirping all night. Yeah, just Brooke Lopez is just being a little bitch all night. And so... I think he deserves a shove just for that as a Kings fan, right? I guess like from the coaching perspective and uh, this crucial stretch of games going down the stretch, um, of course you don't want Trey Lyles to get suspended. He did hit him in the face. We haven't heard anything yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if Lyles is suspended a game in games you need to win, right? So he's an important player on this team, obviously. So it's like there's two sides of it for me. Like there's one I'm like, yeah, like show some emotion. Like this team's here to win and like they're frustrated and stuff. And like I get it. Like I think it's just different. Like I feel like this happened like two years ago when the Kings were like 30 and 50 at this point. It's like, like why? Like what? You're just mad because you suck. But it's like they're in they're in the fight this year. They're in the hunt. It's like he's mad. He's just like just get on my face, dude. And like I just feel like they're showing emotion. And like I said, it's all about the record this year. So it just comes off a lot better that Trey Lyles is showing this emotion because he wants to win. He's pissed. And he's not going to put up with anyone's shit. So as a fan, I like seeing that. As they, as people have been saying, he got that dog in him, right? And I feel like the Kings need some dogs on their team. Because 
I don't know. I sometimes I don't see it from Fox and Sabonis. So it's nice having that one guy who's going to stick up for you regardless. And I think that's Trey Lyles. Yeah. And again, just to like make it clear, I see, I kind of just see where both sides are coming from. And I both, I kind of see also where it's like you crossed a line. Like Lopez should have been the bigger man. And then Lyles, like it's easy to say he probably shouldn't have pushed. He definitely shouldn't have pushed Lopez's face away. But like I like what Mike Brown said about it. He didn't really like comment or like condone or ridicule what Lyles did. He just said like when things are that intense, the tiniest thing can set someone off. It's all for the love of the game. Like, what are you gonna do? I think there's an element to it that you're talking about where it's just like I mean, Jason Anderson kind of got it out of him. Um by asking it a certain way, but Mike Brown had a very quotable moment by saying like, we ain't going to take shit from nobody. And I think that there's a, there's that greater element at play because you've seen it a lot, especially over the last month. I mean, like think about the press conference with Fox and Monk after the second highest scoring game against the Clippers. You know, they, someone asked about mm-hmm. like, Ooh, how do you feel about them having what, <laughs> and no disrespect to anybody. It's just like, well, what about us? Like, like we don't give a shit. We don't give a shit what's going on over there. We care about what's going on over here. And I think that whole like demanding respect thing, I get it. I mean, like in a lot of ways, like I said, I get it. I, I get what happened, and shit like that happens all the time in the highest intensity. But there's a my 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 greater point is that come playoff time, there's a fine line between being intense and standing up for your guys or whatever, or standing up for yourself, I guess, and then hurting your team. And the one thing that I thought of today, the day after the game was, and I'm not saying Trey Lyles is um, of the same importance to the Kings as Draymond Green is to the Warriors. But remember when the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not using this as an excuse for as for why the Warriors lost, but it definitely was a contributor. When LeBron yeah. James stepped over Draymond Green and Draymond responded, he stood up for himself and he got suspended for a game. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, man, everybody, if you were not a Cavs fan or just a LeBron stan, like everybody can kind of see where Draymond was coming from. But at the end of the day, on the biggest stage, you can't put them in the position to kick you out. You can't put them in the position to, quote unquote, extend the series and make more money. You just can't put them in that position to get you kicked out. And Lyles may not be of the same importance to the Kings as Draymond Green is to the Warriors, but Trey Lyles is pretty damn important to the Kings. And you can see that in the fact that he's playing the fourth quarter last night. You can see that in the fact that when Domas gets into foul trouble late in the game, they go with the small five with Lyles over Metu. You see it in the fact that Lyles has arguably been the most consistent impact off the bench this season. You know, Monk pushes the highest ceiling. Davion Mitchell really brings that consistency on the defensive end. But on both ends of the floor all season, Lyles has been pretty steady line, and it's been a pretty high line at that. I, I hear you, um, I, I and my reaction would be different if it was the playoffs or if he was going to get suspended in like a big stretch. And I'm not saying this isn't a big stretch, but the Kings have been playing great basketball. They're going on a road trip. They play the Bulls. They play the um, the Nets, who are you know not like easy win teams, but teams I think the Kings can beat in case Lyles does get suspended, right? And they're sitting, not comfortably, but they're sitting decently at the, what, third seed mm-hmm. now? They I'm, were three yeah. games ahead so, of Phoenix. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, it's still close and stuff, but if this was the playoffs where the Kings needed to win these next games, 
Like I'd be, I'd be a little more upset, right? So I think he chose a good time to do it, <laughs> uh, if any. Yeah. But it, circumstances definitely change it. Like if you did this in the playoffs and it was like game seven was tomorrow, I don't know if they suspend him, but like if he had a chance to get suspended during the postseason run or a big, like a really important stretch of games or game, like, well, I'd be mad. Like, dude, like you got to hold your emotions together. You're right. He picked a good time to do it. He probably learned a lesson. Now, will he do that when it's at the, when the stakes are way higher? There's a good chance he won't. You know, I mean, I don't know if it's Brook Lopez again if they meet in the finals. Finals preview. Just Monday slug night. it out. Try to get Brook Lopez suspended. Yeah, I know. Do you remember? That'd be funny. What if? What if it was like the NBA Finals and it was like the Kings versus? I mean, it doesn't really matter if the Kings are in it, but like the Kings versus Bucks. <laughs> And they like suspended Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez just like shaved his head to look like Brooke and played. Dude. Do you remember, do you remember that conspiracy theory? Maybe like five years ago now. Um, last time the Wizards were good. And I believe it was Mark Keith Morris that was on the Wizards and he like sprained his ankle. It's like a high ankle sprain. And it's like, it's like one of those injuries. Like, yeah, like. You're, you're usually out for like a week after that. At least like you're missing a game and you like suited up the next game. There's like a big conspiracy theory that Marcus Morris like just filled in for him because they they're identical twins and they have like identical tattoos. And so it's like almost impossible to tell them apart. Yeah. Robin Lopez. I don't know if Robin, Lo- but he, I think they have more of a similar game, Markeith and Marcus, where I don't know if, Rob, if Robin's the three-point shooter that broke. No, I was going to be like, yeah, Robin. Oh, for 12. One for 12. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody's going for the 12. You're really, you were generous with the one. Yeah. I think I think he can hit the three decently. Yeah. But I don't think at the, the clip that... Brooke Robin Lopez. Yeah, I mean, I don't really trust with the whole Morris twins. I don't really trust twins as it is, but the whole it's always been an interesting factor. I'm like, they've, I don't know. I wonder if there's a sinister side to the fact that they're physically identical in all facets with the ink and everything. I don't know. That's always weird. Twins are kind of weird to me, anyways, because they're not weird and like I avoid them, but it's just like us, you guys like think the same. You always hear those things about like, yeah, like sometimes twins can like, communicate telepathically like i think in like the wound or something i might be making that up my my wife is a, the daughter of a twin and i think it like skips a generation so i'm afraid that i'm gonna have like twins. oh man but if i was to say i had a really good week or a great week what, what would be better <laughs> what did you what did you just be- ask the question again or did you use different phrases there no i I, I said pretty good the first time. But if you're like, how was your week, Tony? I said this. Really good. And you said, Tony, how was your week? And I said it was great. Really good sounds like but, you went to like a nude beach or something. Okay. Or something along those lines. You can escalate from there with your imaginations at home. But yeah, I don't know. It was re- like the way you said it is like, it's really good. It was really good. I'm like, oh. But then I'm like, this. it was great. It was great. <laughs> it was great. Oh. Me and my wife went to, we went to Lowe's. And then we went, to- we went to, I thought you were going to, for some reason I heard the La and I thought you were going to say Legoland. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, the sentence better than Lowe's. Yeah, I know. I don't know. 
I've only been to Lowe's once, and that's because Home Depot didn't have what I needed. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, All right. We're getting off trap. Kings. Uh, what else is happening? What's all? What else is new? Uh, I, I mentioned something earlier. DeMontis Sabonis with his second player of the week award for last week's performance. I was kind of surprised by this um, just because I didn't think Sabonis had his craziest week ever. Yeah, the Kings went 3-0 and during the week. He, I mean, he almost averaged a triple-double with 20, I think 10.7 and like 8.3. So I can see why he deserved it or won it, I guess. But it kind of caught me by surprise, honestly. But he's been... I don't know. I mean, he's just DeMontis Sabonis. I, just, I guess those are just numbers I expect from him on a nightly basis. I mean, you should. I mean, his game on Monday was like 23, 17, and 15. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> he's in, it's incredible. Yeah, he is. And he didn't even play that well against the Suns. He didn't even have a double-double, did he? No, he did not. No, yeah. No, he did not. He didn't have the best game. And the Kings still won because Fox didn't even have the best game either. Yeah. Anyways, well, I think, I guess they're just going off the fact that he had two out of his three games that week he had two triple doubles or he had dang did yeah, he really he had a triple double against new orleans 19 11 and 11 and then against new york he had 24 yeah. 13 and 10 dang he, he i mean he just does of these triple doubles so casually now i don't even know i don't even notice anymore it's like a double double for fox like 24 and 10 that's like sabonis is like 19 11 and 11. Yeah, well even like, double doubles for sabonis it's just so it's more odd when he doesn't get one. Oh, for sure i mean he leads the league and double I mean, doubles like, the new sacramento era record holder for double doubles in a season right. with what, how many games are left 20 something 15 now there are only 15 games left that's yeah because they're like 40 and 27 aren't they that's insane. For 15 games left. That's 15 games until the Kings break. break I was going to say break it. <laughs> break the playoff drought. It's getting. It's becoming more surreal every like as we get closer. Right. I mean, April, I mean the last games on what April 7th, 9th, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so, one of those. I don't know that one. Yeah, one of those April early dates. Oh man, I cannot wait for the Golden One Center to get playoff basketball. Yeah, it's never it's, seen it. It's never it's happened. It's going to be crazy. What if it's just not is the, the dimensions of the inside? There's like there's just something missing. Like what if the commentators just say that? <laughs> it's a raucous crowd here, not as big as I thought it was going to be, or not as loud. Um, it just isn't. It doesn't feel. You were an Arco, right? You remember that? And he's like, yeah, I was there. Yeah, that would be really a letdown. But I doubt it would be. It would just. It was just disappointing. I mean, of course, it's not going to happen. The place is going to go crazy. But it would be funny if that was to happen. Like, no one showed up. Just pull the Seattle move. Just pump sound into that thing. Yeah, right. It's Sacramento. They're the loudest fans ever. Everybody knows that. It's just, like, deafening. The players have to wear earplugs. <laughs> That'd be crazy. I'm, no, I didn't go to this game. But I remember when the Kings set the... Uh, this was at Arco, I think. Yeah, it probably was Sleep Train. And they set like the like the Guinness Book of World Records for or the Guinness World Record of uh, like the loudest like sound in an indoor place or something. <laughs> I don't know. I doubt that still holds. Record. But the thing with Sabonis is that you know we he like you said it's like you were kind of surprised that he won Player of the Week, 
this is just a great opportunity. The player of the week thing, the uh, franchise record for double doubles in a season. It's just kind of an opportunity to bring him up again because he's just such a constantly productive in such a, you know, a, a magnificent way that he kind of just goes under the radar sometimes, especially when you have like the whole team's playing well out of the break. Fox had that stretch of 30 plus games, yada, yada, yada. And then I don't know. It's just always nice to be able to really appreciate kind of the center of it all in terms of who's on the floor. Quite literally. No play on words. Yeah. So the fact that the Kings will be able to, or that Sacramento will be able to erupt for playoff basketball again, you know, is is maybe that factored into being player of the week. Because it wasn't around the same time everybody's like, well, now there's a 99% chance. Like, I don't know who's formulating this. I don't either. It's just odds or whatever, like math, just whatever. 99% chance to make the playoffs and 0.4% to win the finals, I think, or reach it, one of the two. Yeah, I don't know how they're calculating that. (laughs) I I get the playoff thing because it's like so many games left, you can factor in the magic number, all that stuff. I could see how there's a path to that. But yeah, 0.4. I don't know. I just thought of it. (laughs) It just makes sense. (laughs) But okay, I'm gonna before we before we go back to Sabonis, the Kings do not hold this record anymore. It was it was Guinness World Record for loudest crowd roar, and they set it at 126 decibels um, against the Pistons in 2013 at Sleep Train Arena. The previous record was set by the Bucks at 106 decibels. Damn, the Bucks. The Kings destroyed it by twenty decibels, and I couldn't tell you what that means. But now, now it's now it's owned by the Kansas City, or not the Kansas City, the K- University of Kansas. What Jayhawks own it now at one thirty in a college stadium? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. those kids, you know, <laughs> yeah, the Jayhawks with less fans too, thousand less yeah, fans than they that's broke. That's crazy. We need we need to get the we need to get Guinness back here to the the G one so the Kings can break it. <laughs> Anyways, Domas, what is what do you say? Mark Jones calls him. Oh, Mark Jones says he'll go. Dame Mas, give me more. Dominant Domas, Dame Mas. Good old uh, Mark Jones. I was like watching like Mark Sanix to Katie pregame, and he's like she towers he over looks him. Looks so tiny. I know. <laughs> it's like that little filming trick that they did for the for the Lord of the Rings. They do it like a weird angle, <laughs> and then it makes like the person that's smaller look even smaller. Yeah, it's crazy. That's funny. But moving on here, because we're talking about the fact that the Kings are here. I mean, the forty win mark. I guess we shouldn't really skip over that. Kind of a big deal. And this last July, we spoke to two of the three individuals that were outside of the Chase Center this summer for the famous We're Getting 40 Wins This Year viral video. And Sean, one of those guys, made an interesting point on the podcast because we were just like, did that come off the top of your head? I don't remember exactly how we asked it. But he had like such a calculated answer, totally backed up by the fact that they hadn't won 40 games. He mentioned the last year under Jaeger as being so close and how that was just like, it felt like it set a, it almost kind of amplified that benchmark because it was that Jaeger season was the one time in recent memory where the fan base was close to feeling, it was the closest they felt to what they're feeling now, I guess is one way to put it. 
and you could see it when they got the 40th win. It was a huge deal. It was big, you know, all the journalists asking every player and coach about it. Uh, it's a huge deal. Do you have any comment on it? I think you do on the 40th win, how big it is. I mean, it seems so benign, but it's uh, packed with a lot of meaning for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, as someone who's been watching this team for at least the last 20 years, and considering we haven't had a 40 win season since the last time we made the playoffs 16 seasons ago, it's just awesome, really. And it's like the 40s nice because it's like. I don't know. I, I guess it would feel a little different if we like barely got 40. It's like, oh my God, we got 40. But it's like, it's still a little different as in, in the sense it's like, well, like, why not 50 at this point, right? So, I mean, just like the, like the symbolism of the 40 and like, it's like, it just shows like this is a new team. This isn't the same Kings as the last 16 years. Like we're on a new path. Like in the 40 win benchmark just, just shows that right away. So um, it kind of just shows that we're just not failures anymore. <laughs> and that's just awesome. It's just something we haven't seen in forever. And it's just a measure that, or it's, it's a something that measures success, right? Wins. And you finally get to 40 after not having it forever. It's, it just feels good. And it really shows the direction this franchise was headed. Mm-hmm. In. And I think you kind of hit on it there for a second, but um, the whole idea, it's like, well, why not 50? Well, it's like this whole team you ask, Mike Brown, it's like, I don't know, 40 wins? Like, I didn't come here to win 40 games. Like, I came here to do a lot more than that. And um, Harrison Barnes kind of said the same thing you just said. He was like, I mean, I, I always remember the Spurs went in their best years. Like, they were always getting 50 wins. Like, 50 is kind of the marker that really matters. So it's mm-hmm. like, the 40 wins is like definitely nice for the fan base. But the team doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's great because that's how it should be. And they're never settling. And I think that's just kind of part of the environment that Mike Brown has built in that locker room and that Monty McNair has allowed him to build. So, And, and I mean, I, Sean and Nadim, they're awesome. But it's like, it, I mean, the 40 wouldn't be as big this year if it wasn't for that viral clip of them saying 40. And, of course, 40 is amazing considering we haven't gotten 40 forever. But if they said the Kings are winning 50 this year, like the 50 – We'd be we'd be waiting for the fifty benchmark even more than the forty win. So I think I think that video really just amplified the forty win mark. Because even if the Kings won forty games this year on the dot, it's still a losing record. You know, <laughs> so, everybody pointed out, which is why but, yeah, which which was funny, which made the video kind of funny, and people picked on it, right? But um, but no, Sean gave a great answer. It's like, well, like. 40 is a lot for a team that hasn't won 40 in 16 years. So yeah. it was just a good video overall. And it really, it really amplified the 41 mark. Well, it's also illustrative of the fact that it's like, it was ridiculed and laughed at, but it's just like, nobody yeah. was, nobody expected this because nobody was paying attention. I mean, like you hear all these people that were just like, you know, I was listening to something by Mark Stein, on Mark Stein's podcast, which we'll get to as another topic. But he was just mentioning how, even when the trade went down last year with Halliburton and Sabonis, he's like, I thought that was the dumbest move ever. And it's just like, shows you what I know. And I just feel like that whole video of that being laughed at, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're at 40 wins and then some. It's just like, man, people were, they were kind of sleeping on the Kings. And it's really illustrative of that because it's so funny and humorous. And then it's just like, oh, shit, look at these guys, you know? And it, and it was funny because you had that, like everyone was ridiculing that. And then you had the beam. I remember when the beam got 
like posted on Instagram that it was gonna be lit after each game. It's like, so what? Like the Kings can win, they can light it seventeen times this year. So Kings just proving a lot of people wrong. Yeah, it's been a great year, and that's what that forty symbolizes, honestly. Yeah. And it's interesting because even they've totally surpassed the national perspective or the national expectations. But even like on a local level, it's like, did we think that they could win like 42, 43 games? It's like, yeah, but it's like, you're talking about like 50 is not out of the question. Being at the top of the conference right now, it's like, wouldn't have really have expected that. And of course, there's a lot of factors involved, but there's just so many layers to uh, how special of a season this is for this organization. Anyways. But I mean, I kind of alluded to it there. Um, there was a, a moment not too long ago. There was a time, a pretty considerable amount of time, where Sacramento was viewed as a place where people would want to go. And that's definitely not the case now. They are a really good, tight-knit group that anybody with the right type of uh, locker room presence can fit in and gel with. They're talented. They have a head coach that's all about accountability. They got a great fan base, and they're winning games. I mean, there's what's not to love? For a long time, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case. And as I was kind of noting there, Mark Stein said on his podcast on Monday with Chris Haynes, because they dedicated most of the podcast to the Kings and how they're one of the best stories in the NBA. And um, it's kind of funny when they do like a national profile on the Kings and they just start saying all the stuff that's like, hey, we've known that since November. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they all signed a post. They all signed a contract being all in. I'm like, dude, we knew about that in like freaking training camp. Like, what the hell are you, what the <laughs> fuck have you been? <laughs> Read Cap City Crown, bro. Cap City Clowns. That's right. But they were, Mark Stein made a note. He said, you know, he hadn't really reported on this yet, so he didn't want to name names, of course, uh, just adding the intrigue. But he said that in the last 10 to 12 months, there was a moment, and it was a very like, prominent player that would have made big news had the trade gone down their their agent prevented them from going to sacramento because a trade was about to happen and the agent basically got in the way and stopped it because he didn't want his guy to go to sacramento which was the long-standing wisdom among players and agents and all that stuff that's i mean the whole basketball health thing you could read a whole footnote about it but it kind of got me thinking i'm like oh who could that be and i feel like the one person that came to mind immediately was and this is speculation. Uh, John Collins. I could see Collins. Just because he was a name that was thrown around a lot. It seemed like it was really kind of... I don't know. I, th- I just don't think McNair would trade for Collins. I just I just didn't ever see that. Just because it didn't seem like a guy McNair would want in sack for the culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Collins was talked about a lot, and I know we discussed it. But like when I really think about it, I'm like, McNair's not trading for Collins. Collins is kind of like an eagle. <laughs> That's the immediate one that came to mind. Not Kevin Durant? I don't think. No. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, LeBron? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm like. Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell? What about Donovan I Mitchell? I thought about that. I was like, maybe, was there anything between OG Ananobi or Pascal Siaka, maybe? Toronto? Hmm. I don't know. Like At this point, it's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> you don't. Who knows if Mark Stein fucking knows? He might never touch that again. He might have just. It was Ben Simmons. Oh my god! I don't think uh, ten to twelve months. That I don't think they were looking at him at that point. That's interesting because ten to twelve months. That's another element that's interesting here because the Sabonis trade happened thirteen months ago in February. So it would have been something that was in addition to that, and that kind of 
adds to the element that if you remember after they traded for Sabonis, they were also like right in the last closing moments of the trade deadline that year. They're like, hey, man, they made this big move for Sabonis, but they might not be done. They might still be looking for a stretch four. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, okay. I have no idea. But but how could the agent step in and prevent a trade from happening? I don't know the specifics about that. I'm not a, I, you can, you can, I'll give you Mark Stein's email. But... <laughs> Will this guy have like a no trade clause? Maybe I don't know. I'm not gonna. I, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what conference? They. I don't think he said it. What division? No, he didn't say anything like that. I'm just. I'm just mad. Oh really? He's smart now. <laughs> but uh, I like. I want to know who this is. Yeah, I know. I'm. It, it, uh, it's interesting. Damn it, Mark. No, I'm not. I'm not subscribing to your Substack. The Stein line. He like preview. He won't even like preview a paragraph. You can't even read anything. It's all blocked. Like I can't. But yeah, somebody definitely screwed up, and it just it last ten to twelve months. I mean, man, it's just a complete turnaround. When Vivek takes a hand takes a hands off approach to the basketball operations, he actually looks like a good businessman. Yeah, the Kings start winning. Well, who would have guessed? One of the things that I thought was interesting on that podcast because Chris Haynes mentioned that he was at like because like Vivek Ranadive has a brunch at the all-star weekend every year since he's been an owner like he hosts yeah like it? Shaq goes there and all these former kings and former players and people connected with him somehow or he'll just invite people like oh, Chris wow. Haynes like a prominent interesting inside. Mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know about this and this is kind of just my opinion on this. this is interesting. He was noting, he's like, I, he's like, Chris Haynes was like, I love Vivek, you know? Vivek was looking at me at this brunch, and he said, how did you get so big all of a sudden, Chris? And he was just having this great time. And I'm just like, man, Vivek really knows how to talk people's egos up. Yeah, I was gonna and, I'm say. Like, and it's just the way he was talking about it. I'm like, are you that dense? Like, do you not see what's going on there? But it's all about access. What are you going to yeah. do? <laughs> the world kind of sucks. Um <laughs> That's just funny. like I just feel like it's interesting whenever people are like, "Oh yeah, you got to give feedback because due diligence." Because that's what Chris Haynes said. He's like, "He did a great job as an owner." I'm like, "Eh, I would go about as far as saying he did a good job by letting Monty McNair do his job." That says a lot about him. I'm not going to go further than that. You can't. That's <laughs> all he's done. Yeah, seriously. And then you can be like, oh, "Okay, he brought the Kings their first whatever." I mean, he didn't bring him anything. He bought the team. He's run him into the ground, and he's finally not. Is that success? Well, there, I'm, what I'm, maybe what this I'm, year, but not as. What old. I'm saying is, there's still more to the story. The arc can definitely go on an upward trajectory. I mean, yeah, it could be this whole grand story of like a learning experience. Now, do I really think that? Like, I don't know. I don't know Vivek. I don't want to like act like I know him, but I don't know. He's not brimming with humility. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> this is kind of funny. What, I saw um, the Stockton Kings clinch like a playoff spot, and his his daughter Vivek's daughter Anjali um, is like the GM. She's like the associate GM or something. Stockton, and so she posts on Twitter. She's like, I "Made the playoffs in my first year." <laughs> and I'm just like, "Like, what if Vivek just like fired McNair?" Yeah. Like, no, we already got a we already got a GM that can take our team to the playoffs. Well, that was crazy because remember when they were like avoiding contract talks, like. And it was uh, Sam Amick had just written a story. It was like last June, just written a story about like, because they just hired um, Brown. He's like, you know, they didn't match up McNair's contract with Brown's. 
Um, it seems like there's a lot of pressure on McNair to make sure that this team gets to the to the whatchamacallit. And it's like in the same breath. It's like Stockton King's new assistant GM is is Vivek's daughter. And it's just like, you know, it, it's a cartoon idea. It's But we live in a clown world, especially with Vivek Ranadive as the owner. Uh, it's hard to deny the idea that <laughs> somehow they're setting up for something crazy. I mean, like, of course, it's probably not going to happen. But it was you, it's hard to avoid with Vivek. It's just yeah. like. Honestly, yeah, yeah, that's uh, well, good for her and good for the French. I don't know what the extent of her involvement is with them, but uh, that's cool. The Stockton Kings are great. There's actually a lot of just interesting, you know, beyond Keita and um, why am I blanking on my our guy? Yeah, I know, There's a lot of interesting length in you know, uh, young, raw talent down there that's been compiled. And they're a good G League team. So all the props to the Stockton Kings. Mm-hmm. But, man, I love any time I get to talk about Vivek Ranadive. I love any time he gets brought up and I'm just like, oh, man, the psychology of this guy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very in- intriguing person. Big time. Everything about him. But um, talking about KE, yeah, the, the Sacramento Kings bench and Kessler Edwards um, – you know, they've been playing well since All-Star break. Not so much on Monday, but um, they've been they've been really solid. And Kessler Edwards had that huge game against the Suns and really helped them push him over for the win on Saturday. Big time. Yeah. The, I mean, you take 9 out of 10 games, the bench is playing great. You take that. Obviously, you kind of needed them a little bit more in the Bucks game. And it's not like they were terrible. Like, like I said, Lyles was making a huge impact in that game. Yeah, both during the game and in the headlines afterwards. But it just was not the same element to the first nine games because it just seems like Malik Monk is just firing on all cylinders, shooting the three. He's over four assists in this stretch. Efficient scoring has really impacted the game at different points in a lot of the ways that you saw him do it earlier in the season. Um, just being able to be either play off of Sabonis or be out there as an extra facilitator when Sabonis isn't on the floor. Davion Mitchell, we've seen him a lot more comfortable with the offense and a few of his spot starts and coming off the bench. Um, he's had some good moments. He definitely looks more comfortable. I think we already kind of mentioned Lyles. But the other two guys, Metu and Kessler Edwards, mainly Kessler Edwards because I think it was good you brought him up. Man, he seems like he, at least right now, is um, in that rotation. Yeah. And he, he definitely earned a spot after that Suns game. And you saw him get put in the rotation pretty quickly in that Bucks game. But he he got a little trigger happy, in my opinion. I don't know. He, he missed a couple threes, and he kind of didn't really play much after that. Yeah, I mean, the, the I, I, he took like three shots, two threes, I think, if I'm not making that up. I felt like the threes kind of fell within the offense. I think one of them was late in the shot clock. I want to say one was quick in the shot clock. You know what? You, you, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, it was like a quick shot, and it's like, oof, <laughs> and he missed it. And I, don't, I want to say he didn't come back in after that stint. Did I think he? he played a pretty even distribution of minutes between the first and second half. Let me pull it up real quick. But I know I didn't look at this. Hey, he played eighteen minutes, so he must have. But yeah, Kessler Edwards. I mean, he, he see it. He just defensively makes a huge impact. And he's really good at what he does. And I mean, obviously, the Kings were looking like when everybody's like, man, the Kings could use that 
three and D guy off the bench, at the wing position, like that's just, if they get a really good guy like that, it's, it's huge. It's like Kessler Edwards might be a slightly cut rate version, but it's like he's, his stock can only rise. Hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. Cause he didn't take any shots in the first half. Mm-hmm. Serious. Wow. Yeah. And it was three field goal attempts, two of them from three. Hmm. Well, then maybe he got pulled after that then. So one of them was super early. It was like a one pass and he shot it. I'm like, oof. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was like a kind of like a dribble handoff action. Yeah, on like the wing. Uh, Yeah, he and he rimmed it. Don't do that. It's like Giannis is the guy that's on him. And so Giannis, of course, gets a great contest up. I know. And Matthew pulled that same stuff. He took like a step back shot on Giannis. You know, Matthew. God, if we we can move on to Metu because Metu gets me so sure. close to being like you know what I I I believe in Chemezi Metu, and then he just does something where I'm like what the fuck are you doing? What because he they kind of used him to to guard um, Giannis a little Giannis. bit and like he struggled at first, yeah. but he kind of like bore down there a little bit. I didn't really go into detail with the game recap on that. That fight was just such a focus, but uh, yeah, like. You could see, and I feel like there was the game where the Raptors came to town and really messed with the Kings. It might have been that game. I think they were using Metu in a certain kind of way that wasn't like, they were just using his length, and there's like more to him. I, I just feel like the versatility potential is there for Metu. I mean, he's still got a long way to go, obviously. I mean, and he's not going to be shutting down Giannis. Obviously, nobody is, but he kind of... In terms of a guy that can give a guy like that a different look, I mean, it's an option, and there there's a potential to grow there. But then it's just like, I don't know, he just takes so many shots that are just not great. And I feel like he's been having these attempts where it's like one or two a game since the All-Star break. And it almost makes me think like there's a green light for him to do it, where he'll, he'll kind of take a shot off the dribble, where he'll like go in, dribble in, go for a layup or a hook or something, turn around. Do something of that nature, and a lot of times he misses. Sometimes they'll like sink it, or, like look kind of good doing it, but most of the times it just kind of feels like that wasn't the best shot. I mean, it's been an interesting thing with Metu all season. Have you guys listened to the podcast enough? I'm not the biggest Metu fan. Yeah, I'll give him his props. Like he's performed well this year as a guy who probably shouldn't be the backup center, but is. But um, I don't know. I I just can't wait until we have a different backup center. That's that's what I want to say. I'm happy that Lyles is kind of being moved to that five. Maybe. That backup five. Well, we were talking a couple weeks ago about uh, uh, Vezenkov coming in and maybe replacing Lyles. Yeah. And maybe that just... Well, maybe they'll just bring back Lyles and put him as a backup five. Yeah, or toy with one of them as a small five type. Mm -hmm. Who knows? The options are abounding. But it does kind of bring up another interesting story that I forgot to bring up last week because it's kind of a week and a half old at this point. But So long story short, Rashawn Holmes is filing a defamation lawsuit against the Sacramento Bee or the owner slash parent company of the Sacramento Bee, as well as the opinion writer Robin Epley, who penned a series of pieces detailing Holmes's ex-wives allegations against Rashawn Holmes that were ultimately discarded, I guess would be the term, by, I think it was a Los Angeles court in deciding custody for the child, which ultimately went to Rashawn Holmes. So with all that, he's filing a defamation lawsuit. And 
it does bring up the whole idea that all the off the court matters were not in fact behind him and that it may have played a bigger role than initially imagined and of course it's at a different stage now than it was a year ago obviously but if you remember back in early january Rashawn Holmes had a spot start for DeMontis Sabonis, got a double-double, played quite well. And uh, after the game, Mike Brown made note of the fact that he's going through stuff off the floor. And it was the first time it had really been mentioned all season. During training camp, uh, Rashawn Holmes was asked about all the off-the-floor matters. He said it was behind him and that he's ready for a new season. That was always kind of dubious. I mean, like, that doesn't just go away. Of course, it was always going to affect him in some manner. But it didn't ever really seem like throughout the whole season that that was too big of an option behind his struggles. It seemed like there were definitely factors such as like role and comfort coming off the bench, things like that. And you also have to factor in the fact that there were rumors that the Kings were trying to move him ahead of the season and that uh, they were obviously shopping him throughout this season. It just never really came up. But with this whole lawsuit of uh, that that's that that came up a week and a half ago. It definitely calls that into question, and you know I don't really know if this is like opening up an opportunity for Rashawn Holmes to be that backup five for the Kings because I think given his contract, given the whole situation and his fit, I think the Kings would much rather move him. But even in that sense, I feel like this whole, kind of how everything has transpired. We ask about whether or not Rashawn Holmes has value around the league, and it seemed like he did because guys were trying to get him to be a buyout candidate, which would have served the Kings no benefits. But it did show that people had interest in him. And I feel like this is just another compounding factor that lends hope to the idea that the Kings can move him this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it can for sure. Um, Holmes obviously hasn't been the same since these allegations came out and this whole court thing. I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about it. Like, maybe teams will take this into consideration but at the same time he's still like he's unplayable still if i'm a a gm or an owner or whatever and i'm looking at this situation and maybe i need a center and again i I don't want to get into like contract value all this stuff but just kind of like hypothetically speaking if i'm looking at that situation there's all these factors there's there's reason why he kind of had a lost season and when you've been lost for the season, there ain't no way he's going to get back. I just don't feel like you're going to be able to get back in the hamster wheel with it going at full speed at this point and make such a big impact at this point in the season. I just think the season's kind of lost at that point for him. But you give him change of scenery, you give him something like that. I mean, like, that's what I mean. Like, don't you think owners see that and kind of like definitely go along that line of thinking? They're probably more open as like that's something to get like. GMs will put that into consideration, right? But it's it's more than that. It's also a lost season on a guy who's who's getting paid starter money. Like if he's a backup, he's making five million a year. I mean, it's a little different. It's like you you bring this guy in, he should be starting for your team at his contract. Yeah. Right? So I think that's where it gets kind of tricky. That, that's why like, I was like, just leave out the contract aspect because that is the big roadblock. It's like. Ugh. Yeah, it is a big roadblock. And it's like, all right, well, I'm taking on, bringing in the starting center who didn't play last year. And not only did he not play, he was unplayable. And yeah, like, okay, he had like a, like, I get it. It's like, okay, he he has a lot of off-court issues that affected his play. He's played really well the last couple seasons before all this happened. Like, maybe someone would want to take a chance on him. Because he was, he was super good. He was leading the league in field goal percentage and stuff like that. 
hustle player, not like the best rebounder, but someone who could be a starter on a lot of teams in this league. So it's just like this last year and a half, it's just kind of setting them back. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, maybe he has all these off court issues, but do we want to take a chance on this guy who has a couple more years left on his contract? And it's going to eat up our cap space. That's where it just gets messy. And like, I'm rooting for Holmes. We're all rooting for Holmes. He's, I mean, it's hard not to love the guy and all he's done, even after this year. But it's just for me, it's getting less and less likely. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's all fair. I mean, the it all lends itself to it's like, oh yeah. I mean, it, it ups the chances of his impact, but it does not change the fact that no matter what that hope is. Uh, I don't think a lot of people want it at that price. Yeah, and I, I just don't think it'll change until he can show that he can play on the floor and not be a liability. And until that, regardless of what's going on, he's not going to get traded. Unless like it's like a real dump-off package and then can you like, you know, give something away to take Holmes' contract. So that's really the only way I see Holmes being traded, whether for a dump-off or he actually finally shows that he can still be an NBA Level starter. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just the money at that point. Because, I mean, in a way, he has kind of shown that he can still kind of play as a starter. If we're talking about that, that Laker game. That Lakers game, it, yeah, yeah. And, it, again, it it's all about how much do you really – how much value do you really put into, like, what a change of scenery would do for him? Like, does he all of a sudden become a center worth $11 million? That is kind of a tough bet to hedge. And – I think that, is, as we're both pointing to that, I guess that is kind of the, the dam and the river there that gets interesting. We'll have to see. I mean, like, this team's primed for a playoff run. It's not like last season where it's, like, mid-March and we're already talking about, where are the Kings, <laughs> what are the Kings going to do for a head coach? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot of things before anything like that, like before free agencies type stuff starts coming up. But uh, I forgot to mention it last week. So I thought it was at least interesting bringing it up, especially with the fact that I wanted to bring up Metu. But yeah, that backup five, you know, the thorn in our side all year. It's the thorn is a bonus aside. He's like, what? I got to go back out but, there? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. But um, now it is an interesting point, and hopefully Holmes can get moved, and hopefully he can succeed somewhere else, um, or even maybe he can succeed here in the future. Like who knows? I mean, I don't know if you want to keep him as an $11 million backup, but the possibility in that, in the sense that maybe these off-court issues are still lingering, like maybe next year they won't, and he can actually play as a efficient backup center. He just develops into like a small forward. <laughs> Starts shooting the three, creating his own shot. He should. He's a good three-point shooter. He was like working on it, and he... <laughs> Like he was, I mean, I don't see if he was great. I'm like, he's, he's going to be a marksman. But, like, I think he can kind of transform into a guy who shoots two a yeah. game. I don't see why not. Why not? They they just, they just need to move him to the four, honestly. He's, he's just too small to be a five. He needs to develop his shot a little more and just kind of play the stretch a little. I think that would do him wonders. I mean, but, to be fair to Holmes, you highest three-point percentage on the team, 75%. Yeah, three for four. My goodness, it's crazy. He's 75 for 100. Where are you going to call him? Uh, Bowling Green. <laughs> Bowling Green, dude. Bowling. It's a bowling alley. Better than uh, John Morant going to Murray State. Murray State. Why didn't Keegan go there? 
Yeah. Kenyon Murray, what are you doing sending the kids to Iowa to, to turn the program around? Why don't they just go to their namesake state? But, yeah. I guess the last topic here is uh, about Keegan Murray. Oh, look at that. You know, it's interesting. Coming out of the All-Star break, the Kings are 8-2, and two, and everybody's playing pretty well for the most part. You know, I mean, like, Sabonis doing what he does, gets the Player of the Week honors, breaks the franchise record. You know, Fox has had so many 30-point games. I think in half of these 10 games, he's had 30 or more points. Kevin Herter's playing the best basketball of the season. The bench is playing well, like we said, all this stuff. But Keegan Murray, not he's it's, it's kind of taking a bit of a dip. And maybe not for the whole 10 games, because of the first five games after the break, he was pretty good. But in these last five games, for instance... He's had two scoreless games, something he hasn't done since he was a freshman at Iowa coming off the bench. And there's a lot of talk about maybe it's a rookie wall or whatever the deal is. I guess another kind of interesting point here is in those first five games after the break, there was a lot of talk about, oh, look at him. His confidence is really blossoming. He's creating his own shots. He's getting some shots off the dribble. Like It really seemed like his offensive game was expanding. And then in these last five, he's a little more prone to disappear. Have you noticed that? Well, yeah. When he puts up zero points, (laughs) they're not to notice. You saw Um, that too? (laughs) Dude, zero? The goose egg? Yeah. I I mean, it's hard to be rough on him because he's a rookie. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe in two years, I'll make a little bigger deal about this. It is frustrating. It's kind of like when he's putting up the zero rebound games as a power forward. Like, dude, what's going on? Um, It is late in the season. For a rookie, you know, they're not used to these full 82-game seasons. So, I don't know. That's a rookie for you, in my opinion. I mean, he's been playing well up to this point. So, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like the biggest of deal. But, I mean, you don't want this trend to continue. And he's had his ups and downs here and there. But it's like at this point, like you almost kind of want to be like, ooh, like maybe he's kind of reaching a certain limit as a rookie. But... I think what's interesting, too, is that I feel like the intensity factor lately, whether it was playing the Knicks on national television or playing a pretty big game against the Suns on the road, which I think was one of the games he went scoreless in, or this Milwaukee Bucks game you know, against the, the NBA's best team, I would almost be tempted to say that this could just be an adjustment period. I mean, we've seen him have adjustment periods, having to adjust to things both on the court and off the court. This would be another, yet another example of something on the court. And it, I, I don't know what the issue is, but I almost do think it is just an adjustment period because the intensity, like I said lately, just has got to be really different for Murray because Bancaro ain't feeling that, you know? <laughs> He's not in those intense battling for a playoff spot mm-hmm. type things. So it's a very unique position for Murray. I mean, he's on a team that's jostling. It's on the verge of being the second-ranked team in the the conference. And so I almost would say that – and maybe it's just also because he's been so resilient and confident all season, but it's just like I would almost call this an adjustment period. Yeah, I think you can say that for sure. He's adjusting to a long season. These games do mean a lot more uh, for this rookie and his role on a team. You know, most rookies aren't in that spot. Most rookies aren't starting on a the second seed in the West. I don't know. I, I trust in Murray. I mean, he luckily he doesn't move too much. I mean, the most movement he does is on defense. It just seems doubtful that it would be this bad because it's like 
I mean, it, it can make all the difference if he's hitting most of his threes or if he's not, you know? Like, there's yeah. a huge difference. That's very true. Maybe he's just in a slump. And it, like, in game to game, not even, maybe not even just a slump. It's just like, oh, okay, whatever. Didn't hit those first. He went like one of four. I think he hit the first field goal of the game against the Bucks, and then went over for his last three. He's kind of based on his rookie season, which is not a ton of NBA experience, sure, but just looking at that alone, he's he's shown that he's prone to just have a kind of little period of adjustment and then kind of bounces back, and we end up talking about, like, oh, this guy's so great. So He's happened before. Yeah. I would almost be surprised if it didn't. I would be surprised if he just totally fell off for the rest of the season. It just doesn't seem believable. Yeah. Well, I believe that was the last topic. Yes. So, But the Kings play the Bulls tomorrow. Bulls a little disappointing this year. We'll see if Trey Lyles gets suspended or not. I think it's a winnable game regardless. Get a nice little bounce back after that Bucks loss. And they play they play two in the next or sorry, they play three in the next four as well. And they play the Nets on Thursday. And then they play someone on Saturday. The Wizards. Know. The Wizards. Domas's thumb extra that day. Yeah. That's true. So three game road trip, right? Say four game road trip. It actually gets tricky. Four game. three games and then on Monday. Which this counts because we probably won't do the podcast till after this back to back next week. Because on Monday they go to Utah to play the Jazz, and then for that Tuesday on a quick turnaround they come back home to play the Celtics, which is a real freaking shame. Because I'd want to see them play the Celtics with like a day off. It's like no, on Tuesday they play the Celtics on Tuesday. (laughs) Jesus! So they play Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. It's like five games in like seven days. Yeah, they have two days. Yeah, it's a work week kind of thing. Jeez, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, you know, and, and all those are winnable games on the road. But again, they're on the road. Yeah, and there's a back. Yeah, back, back between two back to back Brooklyn and then Utah and coming back home to play the freaking Celtics. Yeah, good luck. I went to the Celtics game last year at home. It's not a game I recommend going was, to. But you know what it was? That was Justin Holiday's best game as a Sacramento King. I kind of remember that. He like, I think he went like f- like five of eight from three or something. He's like, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember Sabonis had a 30 and 20 game. That was like the one highlight after we lost by like 40. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I, I saw that. I remember one time I saw Lillard drop 50 against the Kings in like three quarters. Yeah, I saw that happen. Maybe it was even 60 or something. I'm like, well, I saw I was there. I guess. That's crazy. It is kind yeah. of a crazy thing to do. Even if he's doing it against yeah. your team. It's That's like, maybe we should have drafted but... that guy. <laughs> no, Jimmer. The boy is the truth. Because Nelly said it. He's the real King James. Just for dead it. Since I'm on a singing role at this oh point. God. Okay, let's sign off. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one.